following podcast contains mature language and spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. So that means we need to talk about Superboy as a concept. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I didn't care about Superboy. As a kid, the adventures of Superman as a boy never appealed to me. It didn't hurt that they were, those stories were always drawn. I don't want to say but lesser lights. That's not fair. That's pretty rude, in fact. But definitely a lot of retirees. A lot of guys who were not the style, the flavor that was preferable in the 1980s. As an older man, I've come to appreciate guys like Kurt Schaffenberger. At that time, it was kid stuff. I wanted nothing to do with it. And, of course, these were kiddie stories. They were stories about Superman before he really fought major villains. He was working out of a small town. It's like, there was nothing there for me. I didn't appreciate that stuff. I think the Superboy is one of those ideas that only appeals to people who are already fans of Superman, at least in that concept, the concept of Clark Kent, Kal-El as a boy. You've already got to be a Superman fan first, and so you're never going to have as much popularity with the Superboy idea. One thing that did make Superboy much more palatable to audiences was the connection to the Legion. They introduced the Legion of superheroes in I think the late 50s or so and uh, this is the idea that Superboy was going to go off to a thousand years in the future and hang out with teenagers that were inspired by the legacy of Superman to become superheroes themselves and there are all these different characters with all these different powers you know that's definitely candy for babies like me uh, kids love the idea of just like tons and tons and tons of heroes and more and more expansive universes and because distribution of DC COD titles in the in, in my area in the 80s was garbage I didn't get to read a lot Legion stuff but they had some great artwork and some cool house ads and so I'd always had this pent up desire to read Legion material and having Superboy have these adventures a thousand years in the future it gave him an angle they didn't have before because how do you have a character in distress if you know that he's going to survive and grow to become the great superhero that everybody knows but if he's hanging out with a bunch of other kids those kids can all be in peril he might have plot armor but nobody else does and because it's a thousand years in the future there's nothing you couldn't do potentially because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, the only spoiler is that the Earth manages to exist a thousand years in the future, but again, they'd already introduced the DC... No, I guess actually they hadn't introduced the DC multiverse. The Legion predates the multiverse. And also, let's be honest, part of the draw of the Legion is the knowledge that this is a thousand years into Earth One's future, Earth Prime's future, Earth Zero's future, whatever you want to call it. This is where the DC universe is going to end up a thousand years in the future, the one that matters, the canon one, which we're going to come back to later on. So, association with Superboy makes the Legion more relevant more canonical because obviously their stories matter if they're in Superman's comics even though it's just the adventures of Superman as a boy and then Superman can have much more I'm sorry Superboy can have much more fantastic adventures and much more meaningful and relevant adventures because these are the stories of him developing into Superman these are the incredible challenges that allow him to evolve from his boy state to his man state but frankly what ends up happening is that the strictures of being part of the Superman family eventually cause problems for the Legion and there's more and more of a focus on the legionnaires from the future and not really wanting to deal with Superman or the Superman editors and arguably their glory days in the late 70s early 80s were defined by them getting to tell legion stories without having to concern themselves with Superboy so they didn't want as much Superboy they diminished that character or removed that character from their stories I guess in part because of the plot armor because how are you going to be able to tell stories with Superboy that have weight and a sense of danger and a sense of consequence Superboy's presence also semi-stunts the legion 
because as the the uh, series progressed, the creators wanted to do more and more stories about aging legionnaires, adult legionnaires, not just teenagers from the future. And even though you have the built-in device of Superboy only going from his past to our future intermittently, I think there was a sense that you couldn't let the Legion grow up into adulthood while Superboy continued to be the boy sidekick of the Legion. And so they just weren't using him nearly as much. But then what happens, post-crisis, John Byrne decides that there was no longer Superboy. That like a filthy Marvel mutant, Superman was just a normal kid until he hit puberty and then he started getting superpowers. But it was really at high school age, like basically it was uh, at the point where he was ready to graduate before he got his powers. So he was a normal guy who had no idea that he was anything but a farm boy from Kansas until he was about 18 years old. Now when I read that stuff as a kid in the mid 80s, I didn't mind it because I never particularly liked Superboy anyway. As I've gotten older, as I've had a greater command of history of comics, comics lore, uh, and uh, you know the cultural impact of Superman, yada yada yada, I've gone back on that because having him just be a regular Earth boy who gets his powers at 18 is boring because he's just like us until he gets the greatest powers in the world and he's such a salt on the earth a dude that it doesn't really have an impact besides the fact he just runs around and saves everybody. What's compelling about Clark Kent then for the first until he reaches adulthood until he becomes Superman he's just another guy from Kansas. I know a lot of people have gotten up on soapboxes talking about that's what makes him so special is he's just a normal kid from Kansas. Well here's the problem guys he's fucking boring. He's another fucking farmhand you know he doesn't have any fucking adversity. He's a big strapping guy they they burn made him a fucking football hero so he's a jocko guy what the fuck does this guy have to challenge him what the fuck gives him depth you know I- i've heard people talk about oh i watched smallville and and he gets his powers earlier in his teens than smallville and he's bullied and there's all this kryptonite around that messes him up and stuff and you know they'll talk about how having the powers he has all this anxiety because the weight in the world suddenly on his shoulders and shit and it's like cool fine whatever you can do all that shit but he doesn't have to be a fucking lame basic bitch for 18 fucking years another big fucking problem i have with the loss of superboy to the john byrne reboot is that he has an eternal adolescence after that point because they don't kill his fucking parents they don't kill ma and pa kent he just keeps showing up at the farm whenever he has a fucking problem and he already, had a, already has a perfect life okay burns superman he grows up as a normal guy he's not inhibited in any way because he didn't have any powers until he's about to graduate from high school so he was a football quarterback and a strapping guy and women loved him and wanted to be with him and he had no fucking problems at all right and then he goes to metropolis indirectly and he immediately becomes a high profile reporter on a major metropolitan newspaper maybe not the best job to have right now or in the you know post-trump years or during the trump years but generally speaking journalism is a pretty freaking glamorous job to make movies about it and again he's still six foot something a good looking guy in an age when it's okay for dudes to wear glasses still has hot chicks lusting after him his parents are still alive whenever he has the slightest fucking hiccup in his fucking life he just goes back home has his ma's apple pie talks it out with his folks and then goes back out this dude's just got a perfect life and he's got all the powers in the world and you can try to tack on imposter syndrome or some anxiety disorder in like a snyder movie or some shit or in smallville or whatever he's still got a way fucking better life than anybody all of us have way more fucking problems than superman 
and we don't have all the fucking powers. So why the fuck should I give a shit what happens to that fucking guy? Why does it matter to me that he has a, a problem? Oh, he has a bad day. He's still living way better life than the rest of us. So the only reason for Superman to be a character that you read is as escapist wankery. Uh, for instance, I had a customer back in the 90s that bought everything Superman. And he was a nice guy. I liked him. Big burly Latino dude. And, uh, you know, we would actually hang out after hours too. It wasn't just the shop. I, I went to his house a few times. We uh, shoot the shit for long periods of time back when he was still coming to one of my two shops. And so I was wondering though, what was the, you know, he bought all the Superman books and he wasn't the only one, but he was one of the main ones uh, for years after years stuck with Superman tiles. And I was trying to figure out what it was. And then one of the times when I went to his house, I noticed how henpecked he was. How his, his wife was constantly kind of nagging at him and stuff. And I felt like maybe he raised your man to uh, escape to a more perfect life where he's got all the power and uh, uh, he may have responsibilities, but he had every ability that he would need to address those responsibilities and still basically no sweat. And that's a, that's the thing that I see with Superman is that I don't believe like a lot of these Marvel guys, like I remember one time I was introducing, uh, sorry, interviewing Chris Claremont and he was just going on and on about how shitty the DC universe was and how it was so much more interesting to have heroes with feet of clay and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he's not the only one too. When I interviewed uh, Jim Stoller, he was the same way. Uh, or maybe it might've been when he was doing one of the panel discussions. It might not have been one of our conversations, but just a lot of the Marvel guys really run down DC comic books. They, they just feel like they're unrealistic and they don't have enough meat on them. They don't have enough melodrama. They're, the characters aren't relatable. And I'm of the argument that the DC characters aren't meant to be relatable. They weren't created that way. They were created to be heroic paragons and icons. And I think you're supposed to tell different types of stories with DC characters than Marvel characters. But I also think that you have to still have a human connection. You still have to have a story engine that makes these characters have depth. They There may not be Marvel heroes, but they should be like mythological heroes. They should be these great operatic, potentially tragic characters. And none so exemplify that than Superman, particularly in the Weisinger era. And you can read a lot of books about this, about how uh, Mort Weisinger was a guy who was just a, he was just a son of a bitch. Simple as that. There's just no getting around it. The guy was just an absolute fucking twat. Uh, he was a person who would uh, take a story idea from one writer and then assign, tell that writer that it was shit and then give the plot a summary to another writer and tell him to go write that stuff. Uh, he was a guy who abused his employees. He was a power mad. He was a jerk, a bully. He was awful. He was terrible. But one thing that's interesting about him is that I believe he was the son of Holocaust survivors. He was a Jew, of course, and he carried a lot of survivor's guilt with him. And while he himself did not write Superman stories, he oversaw Superman stories and suggested Superman stories to other writers, including a number of Gentiles that he picked up when Captain Marvel folded. And especially in the Weisinger era in the 50s and 60s, you had a enormous amount of Jewish survivor guilt that impregnated the mythology of Superman. And that was not necessarily a new thing because, let's be honest, a lot of the creation of Superman comes down to two Jewish kids from Toronto who were looking at the state of the world and wish that there was a humanistic Jewish powerhouse to impose Jewish ideals upon a world that had gone mad and hateful. And it always hated the Jewish people. It's an essential element of Superman's character to reflect the Jewish identity and Jewish history. That's a, a lot of who Captain Clark Kent comes uh, is comes from uh, the Jewish life in the Western world and having to both assimilate and be apart, forever apart, especially if anybody knows the secret of your background and where you come from, while also recognizing the value and perhaps the power inherent within that background that makes you different, that makes you special. Uh, may, you're not just another one of the Goyim. And much has been made about how uh, one of the two creators' fathers had supposedly been gunned down in a robbery. Uh, some people 
people have um, said that that was not a, a true story. I, I don't know the you know what's true and what isn't. What I do know is that obviously Superman was created by two Jewish kids as an exemplar of justice, uh, very much grounded in Jewish ideals of what justice should be, up to and including a story that was done for I believe Time or Life magazine, where Superman goes over to Germany and to Italy and collects all the fascists and Nazis for trial. Um, very much in line with what Joe Simon and Jack Kirby did with Captain America. They wanted to see justice against these people that were persecuting specifically their people, but also making the world a worse place. And being disempowered individuals, they created figures of power that could impose that righteous justice onto a world that was increasingly becoming a nightmare. And it was one of the Superman creators that come up with the idea of Superboy. And once again, um, that wasn't allowed to go forward by the creators, but that idea was stolen and reapplied to other creators in the 50s. And because this was a Superman solo book, or a, a prequel, I guess you could say, that was overseen by Moore Weisinger, the same Jewish survivor guilt that was present in Superman was also instilled in Superboy. And so it's a landmark for the character of Superman for him to go from being a kid who operates in Smallville against threats that are no longer relevant for the most part to him as a man. Both of his parents die, and he moves out of Smallville, and that's when the Superboy becomes a Superman. It's based on this tragedy. He's adopted and raised by these kindly people that especially for most of their history were elderly people too who were incapable of having children had never had any of their own raised this child as best they could they were good people they raised a, a fine son who was always aware that he was not one of us because going back to the very first Superman story it's clear that this child has powers from infancy and is wrecking havoc in his orphanage at the earliest of ages and I recognize that that makes it difficult to suspend belief that people would not put together this infant with becoming the future Superboy and then onward to Superman but it's comics and DC comics don't have to be logical they're fairy tales essentially they're myths and the simple fact is the first Superman story I believe it's in the first Superman story it was in the um, Superman number one treasury edition that I had um, they show him rocketed to Earth in the orphanage and then adopted by the Kents now later on you have the retcon where the rocket landed in the field and the Kents basically grab this kid run off and pretend like it's their own child which frankly is a good fix great okay he never was in an orphanage he just was adopted by the Kents and that's why nobody knows that he's Superboy cool whatever it doesn't change the fact that the one other if not the very first stories ever told in Superman because I believe the origin was right there right was it in the first story it was early on by the time you get to Superman number one it's there it's the first story you're introduced to not Superman but Super Baby who will grow to be Superboy simply by virtue of the fact that we know this infant has powers from jump and because he's different throughout his life there's never this moment where he discovers he's from Krypton he always knows he's different now we don't know or I'm sure there are a variety of stories in which this occurs when the Kents explain to Kal-El his heritage maybe they did early on maybe they waited until teenage years maybe they waited to adulthood regardless he's confronted with the fact that the person he was raised as the environment he was raised within is not native to him and most especially if he has superpowers from birth he has to be consciously aware that he's different from other people and he also has to consciously avoid harming people around him he has to be infants and children are very egocentric they are not very good at being aware of the feelings and needs of other people it's all about them in the early years of their life so a lot of what factors into creating a superman comes from the care and the potential for harm that comes with having been raised as a super baby and a super boy you get superman because he has to learn 
learn as early as possible what he should not do because of what he is capable of doing. And it will impact on his views of all of humanity based on what he could do that they could not do and the harm that he could do to them intentionally or inadvertently. He has to learn to be a better human being than any person on this planet by virtue of the potential harm he can cause to any individual on this planet if he's just not careful, if he's just not considerate. And it's not as if I want to disregard or diminish the quality of nurture with regards to the Kents uh, in the same way that I wouldn't want to diminish the impact adoptive parents in the real world can have upon children or foster children, whatever the case may be. But obviously Superman is an exceptional individual who has to be reared under exceptional circumstances to become the being that he is with the extraordinary powers that he has. In the Weisinger era, they made a point of instilling in Superman a longing and desire to have been a part of Krypton. And that's perfectly natural because having grown up on Earth with all of these Kleenex people, to have the opportunity to be with people that could meet him both physically and intellectually because in the Weisinger area, he was also a super genius. And so virtually no one else on the planet could intellectually stimulate a super brain. And it's one of the reasons why it makes sense for him to have his complicated relationship with Lex Luthor, who for being on the planet Earth is as close as possible to understanding and thinking in a way that a Kryptonian would. But in the Weisinger era, he had this great longing for a place like that where he could belong, which makes more sense if it was something that was a part of his character from the onset that's formative. And of course, there's a bunch of stories where he goes back to Krypton, and of course, since Krypton is doomed, it never works out. So that gives him a great deal of pathos. But also, it's important that his parents die because in all those stories before the burn era, he doesn't have parents, he doesn't have anyone, he's alone. That's why it matters when Supergirl finally shows up, because there is literally no other being on the planet Earth that is in any way similar to Superman until that occurs. And that makes it so monumental. Um, there are so many people in our own lives who are essentially alone unless they can manage to find one or more people that can actually understand them and relate to them and support them and uh, frankly tolerate them under certain circumstances. Um, I think that that's very relatable to a portion of our population. But setting all that aside, just textually, you need to give Superman character and you need to give him vulnerabilities. And I everything that they that people who like Smallville or Snyderverse of Superman say they like about that character and his vulnerabilities and his ambivalence and his questioning you can have all that and still have it be a part of the Weisinger conception of Superman which itself is just a progression of the Simon and Schuster Superman which is a long-winded way of saying that you need a Superboy and you need a dead Mon Pa Kent and when Byrne decided to give Superman Clark Kent who is never ever Kal-El over the entire course of pretty much every Superman comic book going back to 1986 thus robbing him of his primary distinction amongst all of superhero characters besides being the first one and everybody having to tell you he's the greatest superhero instead of you feeling it in your heart and having that instilled in you through stories they just have to tell you he's the greatest even though he does nothing to fucking validate that in any comic books from 1986 onward you lose a lot uh, because 
essentially every Superman story that's been told since 86 has not been a Superman story. We're reading Arrested Development, Perpetual Adolescent Superboy stories. Despite the fact this guy gets married and has children, we're still getting Superboy stories. And I've talked to people where it's like, well, wouldn't it be cool if Ma lives at least and then she has a relationship with Mir- uh, with uh, Lois Lane and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, except Spider-Man already has that. Spider-Man already has Mary Jane and he already has Aunt May. So when you do that, you're doing Spider-Man stories in Superman comic books. I guess you could have Pa live, which would be more distinctive because, in part because of the idea that um, I think it was Jerry Siegel's dad was supposed to have died and he has this loss of a paternal figure, a father figure. And there is an element of that that's prevalent without throughout comics. It almost seems like that people lacking in father figures gravitate toward comic books since it's so common both textually in the comics and within the readership. And let's face it, with the dissolution of the nuclear family, you do have more uh, single parent households, which is going to tend to trend toward women and lead to a bunch of boys looking for male role models, yada, yada. But it would be more interesting to have a Pa Can't Survive since so much of superheroic fiction involves either orphan parents or single female parents as opposed to a male parent. But the simple fact is that canonically throughout tons and tons of comic books that have been produced uh, among the most heavily circulated and read comic books in the existence of the medium involves dead Pa and Ma Kent. Okay? So they need to die as far as I'm concerned. Canonically and for the good of the storytelling. But again, we get to back to the problem of DC Comics in general, but specifically to Superman and the Legion is you've got a perpetual Superboy who, because of the lack of Superboy in the Burn reboot, can no longer have been involved with the Legion. And so you have this pathetic band-aid of there being a pocket dimension Superboy. I think he might have come from the same dimension that the protoplasmic Supergirl came from. I don't know. That's the one that the Legion we're having adventures with not the real Superman which okay fine that helps that's a little compute uh, continuity implant so that when you're reading those Silver Age stories you can go oh yeah that was this pocket super pocket universe Superman but he caused all these problems because obviously when you have this reboot how can the Superboy Silver Age stories be in canon and therefore the Silver Age Legion stories be in canon but there was never a Superboy in the main DC universe and Superman did not have much to do with those characters and so what happens is is one of the, the big selling points of the Legion is, is a vision of the future of the DC Universe a thousand years removed, but they're unmoored from that history because they never had adventures with the real Superman, and the real Superman was never a part of that team. So it creates an unreality within the Legion. They don't matter anymore as a result of that because they're, they're already divorced by the sp- expanse of time, but they also don't have that close association with the key superhero in the DC Universe, specifically beginning from a point in time where DC fans are increasingly rejecting Superman as the figurehead of the, Mar- the DC universe and gravitating toward Batman as a defining character within their universe, which I think does a huge disservice to the universe and makes a grand universe small because it has to accommodate a non-powered urban vigilante where the DC universe should have always been far, far bigger than that because it's supposed to be a Superman-centric universe, not a Batman-centric universe. We 
Wizard magazine was never not problematic. The more popular the magazine got, the more it defined fandom in the time period in which it was popular. And the misogyny and broy misanthropy of Wizard really reflected a toxicity in nerd culture that has needed to be reckoned with for a long time. It's something that I, as an old school fanboy, didn't appreciate and was blind to for way too long. Uh, especially once you had cosplay come into the conventions, which led to various forms of sexual harassment and just plain creeping. Uh, and I remember years ago I did a blog post where I, I felt like that was an outside agitator thing in my ignorance. You know, it wasn't the old school comic book guys and fans that were doing this fucked up shit. It was obviously these normies that were just invading our train. And clearly I was a fucking moron. Uh, there's always been, if anything, an appreciably more misogynistic and racist streak within mainstream comics than perhaps in the larger culture. Let's face it, this is a medium that attracts nerds. Nerds are not necessarily the most socially adjusted, well-adjusted people. And when you add scantily clad ladies and outsiders, quote unquote, fanboys have a demonstrated capacity to just be the absolute fucking worst. Uh, look no further than all that shit with Star Wars recently where, hey, a black lady who calls out a portion of white people for being really overtly racist just gets piled on by motherfucking racists. The shittiest, small dicked motherfuckers on the entirety of the internet. Fucking inverse peckers, you fucking motherfuckers. I don't understand how you could have a medium, like, like let's take Star Wars for instance. This is a concept about essentially space knights. So you expect chivalry and because they have a monk aspect to them, you expect a even temper, not letting the emotions get uh, overwhelming you. And these absolute cunts are so hyper-reactive and just hateful to all things that are not white male. Never mind the fucking gatekeeping that tries to deny that anybody who's not a white male has a space in this fucking fandom. I'm disgusted and embarrassed to be peripherally associated with any of that fucking bullshit. And I'm also supremely disappointed in myself for not recognizing those lapses in the character of fandom sooner. And I know I can come off as quite the scold. I definitely am. Let's just own that shit. I am not a perfect human being by any stretch of the imagination. I am a deeply flawed individual. And I try to be aware of that. And I try to not only correct those self-loathing, triggering qualities. I try to mitigate that myself. And I'm also such a vocal finger wagger because I honestly want to call to draw attention to the things within myself and my community that I had at one point been blind to, to the attention of people, particular people who need to fucking tighten their shit up and work it out. Um, quit being the fucking worst for fuck's sake. So again, I'm no paragon, but I want to be better. And I'm not going to shut up about the need for my fellows to be much, much, much better than they are. And the reputation of of Wizard Magazine is certainly marred by their popularizing of a lot of squicky bullshit, punching down lowbrow jokes, pandering to a lad mag culture. But again, it was the 90s. If they were blind to a lot of their bullshit, I can't call them on that because I was blind to a lot of my bullshit too. But one thing that Wizard did do that I appreciated was that 
that despite them ignoring or slagging on DC Comics for much of the 90s, they enthusiastically jumped onto the Morrison Porter JLA bandwagon. They got out a special promoting the qualities of JLA and that Silver Age revivalism. Like, I think around issue five of JLA, it's like as soon as JLA was coming out, they just had the nerd boners for that and were immediately seemingly working on a special to help promote JLA. And I do think that JLA helped move DC Comics in general to a more positive place after a lot of pandering in the early part of the 90s. And one thing they definitely harped on in JLA was the, what is it, second or third story arc in the series where the JLA literally have to fight angels, specifically, very biblically. Superman was wrestling with the angel Asmodel. And I I, I dig it. You know, I, I like the stakes of that. I like how that plays into DC's strengths of being very iconic and being very mythological. I think the design of Asmodel is interesting. Uh, this is an archangel of what they called the bull host, big burly character with eyeballs all over himself. DC has always been a company that played around a lot with Judeo-Christian mythology. And it's interesting to see their pop cult pantheon go up against literal figures of religion. You know, I'm sure there's a sect of Christianity that would have a problem with that, but I dig, you know, I mean, it's, it's part of the New Testament is you do have these fallen angels and you have these rebellions in heaven. And Asmodel is just a modern incarnation of that. And extraordinarily powerful character with a rich lore of religious mythology to draw from. I'm surprised that Asmodel didn't become more of a mainstay at DC Comics. Morrison used him twice, both in JLA and then a spinoff miniseries uh, focusing on the Zoriel angelic character. His intention was to make Zoriel a modern age Hawkman, but that was mostly sidelined. And then after that, he they didn't, nobody seemed to know what to do with Asmodel. He popped up in like Day of Judgment and a few other odds and sides places. He's a fallen angel. You would think that, I mean, let's face it, Lucifer is a fallen angel. You would think that Satan would be a formidable figure perpetually in any mythology that he's drawn into, any continuity he's drawn into. But because there's no scriptural basis for Asmodel, to my knowledge, he's just some random angel guy that people slag on. Essentially. They don't do a lot with him. And I think that's unfortunate because uh, it's a character with a, a, a lot of potential weight, not necessarily earned, given that a lot of that comes just strictly from the Bible and from people's faith. But he seems like a pretty serious dude. And because of those ties to formal religion and um, world mythology, I, I expected more from Asmodel. And I'm sorry that he wasn't treated better. We think you're special. Dr. Ange Canoes, Chris Dunford, Chris Lytton, Chris Thompson, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Debosh, Dear Cashton, who added thanks ours, P. Ed Moore, El Romero Mero, FKA Jason, The Hammer Strikes, Random Jeeky Stuff, History of Comics on Film, Xapain Chop, Iowa's Joe Crawford, JMT Prod, Jeffrey Brown, Jerry Hyde, John is Feeling Much Better, KSCGSF Podcast, Keith G. Baker, Lucretia, Martin Gray, Ray, Mike it send aliens to me, Minute Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast, Randy Caldwell, Raven X Fields, Resurrections, an Adam Warlick and Thanos Podcast, Richard Field, Sean Phillips, Siskoid, Talk Nerdy to Me, Tasmia Muller, Tim Price, The Podcrasher, Torah, and Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 